I'm still a bit jet-lagged when I arrive to Provincetown on a ferry from Boston. The town is covered in a thick fog and I can't see a thing. But I'm about to meet one of the kind souls of Provincetown, James, who has offered to meet me at the harbor and drive me to my hotel. James, or Jim, is one of the people I've met on in Instagram. He says I'll recognize him from a red jeep. We can go around that way. Would you like to have a little tour? I, 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 I'm open to everything. Okay. Do you want to say hi to the camera? This is James. Good morning, James 02657. <laughs> hi, James. There's how much more green stuff there is out there. Grass, brush, trees coming back. Right. And I think James drives me to my hotel the long way, showing me all the sites and the two major streets. There are only two in Provincetown. I can't believe I'm finally here. Oh, there's the library. And look at the city hall. The town is so tiny. It really only has two main streets. I feel curious and determined. I will stay in Provincetown for one week. And so far, I have only one meeting arranged. That's all I have planned. But now, it's my first evening in Provincetown. I hop on a bike and head towards Snail Road. It's not far from where I'm staying, and at the end of the road is the path that leads to the dunes. It's the very same path that Hazel rode when someone attacked her in 1929, if you remember from episode 5. As I ride my bike towards Snail Road... I can't help but think of Hazel who arrived here a hundred years ago. On her first evening, she headed to the beach to relax and ended up sitting there and listening to Eugene O'Neill and his friends have a party. I, on the other hand, am literally going to follow Hazel's footsteps on the dunes. Here we go. Pretty tough to walk on the sand. There they are. Just a climb away. So this is what I see um, behind the first ridge. I guess these are called ridges. Uh, more dunes. And I'm not that far away from uh, from where I started from and I see some constructions in the distance even though it's a really foggy day and it's hard to see but I see something. I spend a good hour or two in the dunes just walking around seeing everything for the first time with my very own eyes. The experience somehow reminds me of walking in a Finnish forest. You know the air is fresh it's quiet except for the sounds of the nature And there's this certain inexplicable calmness that surrounds you. I'm walking where she used to walk. You guys have no idea. 
how meaningful this is to me. It's... I'm here. Being present in the moment has always been easiest for me in the forest. And I realize the same feeling takes over me here in the dunes. As the evening falls, I turn around and head back to town. I think about beginnings. Coming to Provincetown is a sort of beginning for me. Hazel once wrote a short story on how to write a novel. To her, it all starts with a beginning. She writes, I sometimes wonder why I want to tell the truth. Well, there I get into questioning the whole nature of creation. Is there anything back of the wish to create something? Maybe it all comes out of being madder about life than some others. Of wanting worlds more life. I don't know. There are really many theories. It is best to ignore them and go ahead with the leap into the beginning. And that's what I'm doing. I'm leaping into a beginning here in Provincetown. I can feel that something is about to happen, but I can't see what it is yet. Next day, I step into a local cafe to meet Mora and Irene, two active members of the Piccadilly Trust. The Trust is an association that takes care of some of the dune shacks and runs a residency program. If you become a member, you can also participate in an annual lottery. Winners of the lottery get to spend a week or two in one of the dune shacks. So, I don't know, this is the classic map. Oh, wow. So, here's Snail Road, yep. there's the highway. Yep. So, the classic way to walk in is over the high dune, so the hardest part is right here. And then when you get to the top of the high dune, um, Zara is in front of you. Euphoria is the furthest one you can see. It's sitting right on top of the, the dune by the ocean. And then um, Thalassa is over here. Right. So this is the major track you walk out. And this, this dotted line is the dune buggy path where the, the arts dune tourist drives through there. After our talk, things start to happen. I get phone numbers, and I end up meeting a lot of people who knew Hazel. The week that first seemed empty is suddenly full. I get in touch with Salvatore del Deo, a well-established painter and much-loved townsperson who has lived in Provincetown at the tip of Cape Cod since the 1940s. He arrived and never left, which seems to be the case for many people in Provincetown. Here's what he has to say about Hazel. I've known Hazel since I came to town in 1940. I came in 46. I got to know her about 47, 48. It's not an original expression, but I think she was a blight spirit. It's like a, a creature from the woods, you know, that appears out of nowhere. She was, she was very, very feminine and had a certain beauty about her. She was not a, a raving beauty, but she had a quality about her that made her very attractive. And she was soft-spoken. Just easy to be with, you know. I'm sure a lot of guys found it very easy to be with her. She loved men. She loved life. She was quite a woman. I'd say she was one of the early feminists, if you call them that. So Salvatore Del Deo and Hazel got to know each other in the 40s, when Hazel would already spend her summers in the dunes and own the two dune shacks in Peaked Hill. I've been asking myself one question. 
Why have we never heard of Hazel's books? Well, it seems back in the day, even the local librarian thought Hazel's books were scandalous. Because the lady who was the librarian, you've got to remember, times are so different then. I mean, we were as, as conservative as any place in Europe. And Hazel, uh, her book, Mrs. Her name was Haymaker. Well, she said it was not fit for children to read. So she put it way in the back, upstairs, out of out of circulation. She didn't talk too much about it, you know. I think she was more interested in her lifestyle after she had written that book. I don't think she ever had anything else published. In terms of new beginnings... The 40s really are a decade of contemplation and contradictions for Hazel. Her ominous wartime short story, More Like a Coffin, is listed in the Best American Short Stories, an anthology to which the best short fiction has been selected to since 1915. She finally makes it. Listed among the best. Isn't this what she always wanted? To be a writer? To be taken seriously? To receive recognition? to make a profession out of it. But here's the thing. In the 1940s, Hazel pretty much stops publishing anything. After the attack on Pearl Harbor in 1941, Hazel's husband Morris starts to work for the Office of War Information and later moves to Washington, D.C. to research and write about another wartime institution, the War Production Board. The money Morris earns from the wartime machinery makes it possible for Hazel to strengthen her ties to Provincetown. The family acquires another dune shack in 1943, which Hazel names Euphoria. They now have two shacks, which are, to this day, known as Hazel's shacks. But as Hazel spends more and more time in the dunes without her husband in the 40s, she starts to wonder if she has made the right choices in life. It seems she does not feel home in the world she now lives in, and the simple life she leads in the dunes opens her eyes to the life she aspires to. She writes, Can life hold anything better than this early morning? I face the bright sea, and across the sill and the table flows the low yellow light. A thin blue shadow is flung over the westward shoulder of every dune. The crests on the skyline are still dark on the far slopes from the sun. But north and west, the light fairly gallops, and you see only the young and fair illumination. What happens in the next few years is life-changing. The urge for Hazel to live alone grows stronger. She feels trapped in the life she has built for herself. She writes, If I accept the consequences of my mistake, I will be a daily woman, going on as I am, decently sacrificing the alone, inner, creative woman, gradually losing her, gradually destroying her. So she stops going on as she has, She spends more time in the dunes, keeps a lot of lovers. Some come and go, some she falls in love with. 
In the early 1950s, she moves to Provincetown to live there year-round. Morris stays behind. They separate, and it seems the second stage of her life begins now, when she's 50. In Provincetown, I find myself meeting a lot of people who knew Hazel. I finally get to meet Daniel Towler, Dan, who worked as Hazel's personal secretary in the early 1990s. Yeah, so Hazel was living in this cinder block garage that had been converted into housing. So I started going there, I think it was twice a week for about two hours. I got to know gradually, you know, what Hazel was all about. Her papers were in complete and utter disarray. And I was sort of afraid for what might happen to them. Um, I mean, she had, you know, there were maybe one or two little bedrooms in there that were just filled with stuff. And actually, uh, at some point in our relationship, which lasted, I think, a couple of years or so, um, she started going through these boxes and throwing out stuff. I think mostly correspondence, which is a terrible shame, but... You know, she didn't want somebody finding personal stuff of hers, I guess. Um, Was she a private person? I would say so, yes. Um, And also, well, you know, fiercely independent. I mean, she wasn't used to being anybody telling her what to do. You know, we we got along well. We hit it off. (laughs) I'm sure you've heard also she... um, Tended to, uh, for whatever reason, uh, clash with other women, but was very attracted to men. Uh, you know, probably something goes back to the very beginning for her. Uh, you know, something about her father, I'm sure, but who knows? Um, but uh, she lost her father when she was quite young. Yeah, 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 and seemed to have, you know, an inexhaustible need for male attention. I guess you could say, I think. Um, she had many, many lovers, from what I understand, over the years, uh, which was, you know, pretty unusual for for the time. But um, even while married, uh, I mean, she was, like, amazing in that regard, from what I understand. I mean, you know, stealing boyfriends from her daughters and things like that um, and carrying on long affairs with men who were married, you know, etc. But we hit it off. And um, she had these little um, these little things in her apartment. Uh-huh. Um, uh, little vignettes about different people. And um, I asked her, Hazel, what, what, what are these? And um, she said, oh, those are just, uh, just little things I typed up. So she wrote these like little descriptions yeah. of people. Yeah. Why would you do that? What do you think? She was a writer. She was a writer. <laughs> I don't know. She was interested in interesting people. So Hazel was a writer who was interested in people and knew a lot of writers. Okay. What surprises me a bit is that none of the people that I meet seem to know much about her writing career. She did live in Provincetown for almost 50 years. She lived a long life. And it's obvious that Hazel still has good friends in this town. But here she's known as a generous dune shack owner who was fiercely independent and got all dressed up if the plumber had to fix the sink. 
And yet, she seemed to know everyone, like Salvatore Del Deo tells me. She knew everybody who was anybody. She had that quality about her, you know? Like the most noted writers and painters would be her guests out there at the dunes. She was quite a woman. I experienced so many surprises during my week in Provincetown. Whether it's an old letter someone found, a lunch gathering, dinner, getting the front seat on the dune tour, or meeting a person I did not expect to meet. People recognize me, and I feel very welcome. To me, it seems that the spirit of old Provincetown, I guess the way I imagine it, is still there. What surprises me most is that soon I find myself sitting in a jeep, riding to the dunes with Irene, one of the active members of Peekadale Trust. I'm on my way to visit one of Hazel's dune shacks, Thalassa. When you stand here, it's easy to forget the surrounding world. All you see is sand, sea and sky. And all you hear is the nature. Wind, birds and the sea. It's like suddenly you're off the grid. The salty wind is harsh and it has turned the shingles of the shack a weathered grey. The door and window frames are painted bright blue and there's a rusty horseshoe hanging on the outside wall, facing the sea. The story has it that Thalassa's original windows were salvaged from the old life-saving station that fell to the sea in 1931. You see, everything you build out here keeps moving. And that's because the sand keeps shifting. I step in through the door. To my left, there's a small desk facing the sea. I can imagine myself sitting there, gazing at the sea and writing. On the wall next to the desk, there's a simple blue shelf with jars of pens, piles of papers, a first aid kit and a small white vase for flowers. A narrow double bed sits in the back corner of the room. An old round mirror is mounted on the wall between the bed and the kitchen. And if you look to the mirror, you'll see a reflection, a shape of something that is outside, in front of the shack. Between the edge of the high dune and the deck of the shack stands a bird bath made of two large pieces of stone. It was brought here 17 years ago, when Hazel passed away. She loved to gaze into the sea, follow the nature around her, and watch the sun rise and set. In fact, She loved everything about the dunes, and I'm starting to understand why. I touch the shingles on the wall of the shack and realize that Hazel chose to live here. She did not disappear from the face of the earth. She did not stop publishing because she couldn't. She chose to live here. She chose this. In the next episode, we continue to unravel the mystery of Hazel and meet more people who knew her. This 
podcast is produced by Inkaleisma and SC Somaki, hosted by Inkaleisma. Introducing Salvatore Del Deo, James Husson Coday, Mark Coughlin, and Daniel Towler. A special thank you to Irene Briga. Hazel Hawthorne's notes sided with permission of the Hazel Hawthorne estate. Theme song by Studio Le Bus.